Hello and welcome back to the Everything Must Go podcast. I am Steven and with me as always is Brandon. We have returned after our much needed break conveniently on episode 100. Brandon, how was your break? Oh, much needed, dude. I was so burnt out with everything I've been doing on quarantine. So glad that Tim and Gentry could fill in for us. And I, I'm... I'll be honest, I was listening to that episode, and there's some stuff that those guys need to work out. I, I'd i advise some counseling for, for Tim and Gentry, to be honest. Yeah, honestly, that was the most heated that they ever got during an episode, and uh, I'm a little worried, but I think that sometimes you need some, some fire when you got some father-son bonding time, so I'm hoping they can work through it, but we appreciate that we've got two outstanding gentlemen who can fill in when we uh we're taking some time off we don't take time off too often so when we do it at least we can count on those guys exactly uh i don't know if you want to do this off the top but we did get a voicemail from one of our uh loyal fans uh in regards to our two-year anniversary which was two weeks ago but obviously we weren't here last week to acknowledge it so okay yeah we could we could do it off the top why not might as well beautiful all right here we go Hey, Brandon and Steven. It's Rage from Slice of Rage. How's it going? Um, I just want to say happy anniversary to you guys. Congrats on making two years. That's absolutely awesome. I'm so proud of you guys. And um, I just want to say I love your podcast, and I look forward to it every week. And keep up the good work. Have a great day. Bye. Thank you, Rachel. It's, uh, it's greatly appreciated. It's nuts that it's been two years since we started this podcast. I still have the voicemail that Brandon left after, I think it was the first episode that we did. And it's really funny hearing Brandon like, yeah, you know, I think we're onto something with this whole podcast thing. And at the time we thought that we were just gonna have a podcast we would do every once in a while. We didn't even know that we were gonna really pursue the whole social media thing, especially because that at, at that time, Brandon didn't really have any presence on social media. Right, yeah, I had kind of packed it up and I was, uh I was done with it, but it brought me back. So, and and I wouldn't be here in Chicago. The pandemic would have never happened. Basically, it sent a chain of events that has ruined society. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty funny. We've definitely talked about this before. It's uh, the running joke is that Brandon, whenever things go well for him, they go bad for me, and vice versa. And I had thought about it lately. Like w- there had been this this question of what would happen if Brandon and I finally moved to the same area maybe we would both hit at the same time like things would go really great at the same time we didn't know maybe it was gonna go bad at the same time we weren't sure but we got our answer when we found out that it would start a worldwide pandemic (laughs) we don't blame ourselves we're not saying that it's for sure the correlation but it's a weird coincidence it's it's definitely one of the conspiracy theories that have been floating around out there I've I've seen a couple docs on it and uh, I'm not gonna confirm or deny any of the claims i don't think that i'm gonna i'm gonna deny the claim you're gonna deny the claim (laughs) i don't think that's what it is but it is it is a bit i mean it's not a bit it's incredibly frustrating that we are in the middle of this i think i speak for everyone when i say uh literally just doing anything that resembles normal life again would be amazing like i was talking to my mom earlier which we're recording this on Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to the moms out there. I was talking to my mom earlier about this, and um, she's like, you know what I wouldn't give right now to just sit at, at, a, at like the cafe with people 
to just do something just so simplistic that I took for granted before. She's 100% right. I, uh, I would love to just do anything. I would love to have people over to check out my new apartment. Unfortunately, no one's visited me yet, which is really weird. No. Well, hopefully there's a, a light at the end of this tunnel. Um, but yeah, happy, I want to say happy Mother's Day as well. I called my mom to find out what she was doing for this day. And uh, she said, well, I've been asking my kids if they'll help me clean so I don't have to clean for the entire day. And I was like, if I was there, mom, I'd be the best cleaner out of everybody. <laughs> You'd be just the best son if you were there. I, if I was but there, not, so. I'd be the best son. <laughs> But uh, in, for a consolation prize, I told her that she can pick my cover for this week, but she has yet to tell me what she wants. So we'll see if that happens. Um, but yeah, shout out to to the moms out there. Well, let me let me ask you because I I met your mom once ever for like two seconds, like it was such a minimal amount of time. What is like what's your relationship like with your mom? We like, like, what, what what is that like? Hate each other. Like That's what I thought. Really bad. I yeah. That. She used to beat me. And I'm no, just kidding. <laughs> uh, my relationship with my mom's great. Um, I think that I think I actually ended up being a pretty decent combination uh, of my mom and my dad in terms of personality wise. And so I think that, you know, I don't necessarily always um, agree with with them and their parental guidance on things. But in terms of being able to uh, relate to what they have to say or things resonating with me, I think I, I feel really grateful that uh, in either of my parents, I can call home and, and feel like I'm um, getting somebody who understands me. I mean, I'll, there'll be a lot of times where I'm just like, I'll even ask my mom, what was I like when I was a kid? So I can try to figure out where some of my, behaviors kind of originated um and she's always um just a person who's who's really great to uh pick her brain on because she um you know my parents had me when they were 16 and I think for the first part of that my mom was such such a pivotal role because I mean when, when you are the mom you you're kind of stuck with the kid <laughs> you know uh you know it should be both but that's not always uh the case and i think with my parents being teenagers not that my dad wasn't around or anything he you know they're still together and i have three younger sisters but you know my mom uh i think carried some of the load by herself in the beginning so it's it's uh, a unique perspective um to, to get from her and uh yeah well, we have a good relationship how's your relationship with your mom uh i mean it's it's positive like i i talk to my mom probably like five or six days a week like something like that i, I talk to her pretty regularly just about anything really i've always liked talking to my mom because one thing i've always really admired about her is that she appreciates the little things in life which is it's a huge thing for me. Like, doesn't need a whole lot to just be genuinely happy with life, which is something that I think I share a little bit because I like, I like a lot of just very simple things. So I appreciate that a lot. And um, do yeah. you do you consider yourself a mama's boy or a daddy's boy? A little bit of both, because I'm. Like, I'm definitely a split. I'm a split of both of my parents in the sense of I'm, like, the crazy, competitive, fiery, 
um, a sort of dominating personality type like my dad, but then I'm also a little, my dad's a little more, I think like he gets like really heated sometimes and like overly emotional on something. But then my mom's a little bit more like collected on things and just like, let's take a step back. So I think I got kind of a combo of the two of them in that regard. Interesting. Interesting take there. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, well, you think I'm just, I'm, I'm off base? <laughs> well, I mean, if our conversation this morning was any indication, it seemed like you are pretty fired up then. Oh, no, I, mean, I get incredibly fired. I mean, I'm completely irrational and super fiery a lot, like, a lot of the time, but I think I can, like, dial it back sometimes. And Yeah. No, you're good at uh, letting some things slide off, I think. I, I mean, I think that you're some of your romantic relationships have been proof of that where I'd be like, dude, why are you putting up with this? And you're just yeah. like, I got to kind of let it go. Yeah. I just, I keep an open mind to things. I kind of, I try not to take things like overly serious. I just think that sometimes it's, it's not a big deal. And it, I try not to take life overly serious because that's one of my absolute biggest pet peeves are people who always Everything in life to them is the most serious thing ever. Like they take their jobs so serious. They take everything going on in their life. They don't laugh about things. They take everything offensively. I just, I'm against that entire thought process. Yeah, it's tough. I and I think that. Uh, do you feel like at moments you have that problem at all? Well, I take things very serious in terms of I want to be successful like so bad. So if things get in the way of me being successful, I can take that serious. If I feel like someone is not acting like something I'm doing is of importance when to me it's extremely important, which is why I empathize a little bit with people who take everything really serious because I guess some people might just be wired to take things more, like to have more things that they take serious and they just can't see outside of their box. That's the reason why when people get so mad at one another and like they just want to blow up at someone, as I've gotten older, I've just realized that you got to really think for a second, does that person really know any better? Because a lot of times the answer is no. They may just not know any better. So to them, they're, this is just how they're going to react to the situation. So instead of just wanting to blow up at them, try to get them to understand a different perspective, but then know that they still may not. So then at that point, you either have to just walk away from the situation or uh, I guess you fight the person. That's fine too. Don't, don't, don't fight the person. Don't take that part of the advice. How do you feel about the people on the flip side who seem to be very lax about life? Like uh, it's hard for them to really have motivation or any drive of any sort. They're just kind of like, Hey man, I'm just living. How do, how do you feel about people like that? I think it's a great philosophy. I would love to have a little bit more of that in myself because at the end of the day, we don't have all of the answers in life. A lot of us, are, we, ju- we just speculate. Like, I, I make most of my decisions based on what just kind of feels right. And what does that mean? It feels right to me, but does that mean anything at all? No, it's just, it's just, uh, that's like a, that's what kind of what's guiding me on the way. So for people who just think, yeah, life is just, they just enjoy life. Like, I think that's a great way to live life. I think we all need to adopt that a little bit more like living living every day as if it's going to be your last day to the point of just making sure you have the most fun that day 
there's a time and place for that. You just don't want to take it to the extreme. It's the moderation of it and not going overboard, which most people who have that philosophy of trying to have the best day every day, they tend to not be good planners and they tend to go overboard, which means that it works really well and then 10 years down the road, they're like, oh shit, now I have all these problems because they weren't looking out for them. So it's finding that balance. So do you feel like you have a specific purpose in life? That, 100%. Yeah, I, I've, I've said before, I think it's, it almost seems unfair sometimes that I think some people feel more like their life has a direction than other people. You hear a lot of times where someone says, I just don't know what I want to do in my life. That's one of the most common things that you get. And I feel like you especially get it in a country like the United States where we can do so much. There's so much opportunity to do what you want to do. And I've always felt like since day one for me, I've always had a purpose in the world. Like I've always felt like I'm supposed to, even though, as I've said before, I feel really pretentious with this thought because I don't want to feel like I have a sense of importance. But at the same time, you can't deny if you feel a certain way, like you feel your life, you feel good about it when you're able to do certain things. Like I feel good when I'm able to try to inspire other people. Like that to me is very motivational because I don't know, it, it, it makes me feel like in my life, I feel that I'm supposed to be the person who becomes the role model that I wanted to have in my life. So that, that keeps me like I have a purpose. That's my purpose. So let, let me ask you this for, if that's your purpose, do you think you you see a chance, you know, thinking about relationships where you, let's say you meet the woman of your dreams or whatever, and you start a family with this person, obviously that's going to be a commitment. Um, do you fear how how much of a toll that sort of a commitment could take on this existential purpose of being an inspiration or a role model for 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 people within the world i think yeah look no further than the fact that i've been single the big part of the last five years i think i really want this person to understand not only me but to i i need this person to understand what matters to me and what really keeps me motivated and what keeps me happy to a very, like very, very much so. And I want them like to go on the journey with me. I don't want to feel like they're taking away from anything. I don't want to feel like I'm compromising what I'm trying to get to. But I do think that when I meet someone who it seems like a good fit, there's obviously going to be some adaptation to the journey. And for all I know, it could make it that much better. Like it could make my mission that much stronger to meet somebody who sort of fills in the gaps on the things that maybe I'm not as good at. And I think that that's, that's what everyone I think wants out of life, but that's something that I've always kind of kept in the front of my mind because I think that's how relationships should be. And I think when people get so focused on their own individual tasks, especially people who actually want to date, and I think that they're doing themselves a disservice to just cut out potential, like to be so blinded. Like I, I think that's a problem I've had is I've been so blinded because I've been 
one track minds got to be successful on these platforms because eventually I'll, I'll get to my dreams um but I, I i think i i need to put myself out there more more to be honest uh in terms of relationships yeah yeah well i i, I kind of already knew the answer to that one but i i am curious are there any other things that you can think of that you are wary about in terms of how they may impact the current path that you're on, like things coming into your life that might be more of a commitment or something that, that could impede or, or at least make it more difficult to, to head down the road you're going. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely answer that, but I want you to answer that question first, because I want to hear you first off. I think that's a great topic and I feel like it's really valuable for both of us to know the answer because we work so closely on a lot of creative projects. So I want to hear your, your thought on that one first. Well, I'm definitely the relationship thing is a big thing for me. I I think the biggest, the biggest um, insecurity I have in, I guess my history and going forward is my inability to balance things. A lot of times I think I get, I get so zoned in on things that I like really want to accomplish or do that I get like tunnel visioned. Like, uh, for instance, you, you've mentioned a couple times where if you don't hear from me, it might be because I'm going through something or it could be because I'm in a zone like that. Those zones that I'm in, I get that like that with a lot of different things. So for instance, if I'm writing a song that I'm in the zone with, I'll stay up till four in the morning, even if I have to get up at seven in the morning. And is that the healthiest way to approach it? Uh, probably not. I probably should figure out how to work it into my like normal sleep hours. But for whatever reason, um, I just like, I get so obsessed with like finishing this. It's almost like an impulse that's I can't ignore. Uh, and I get like that with like video games. Like I'll just be like, I have to beat this game. I have to accomplish this. I have to play it and beat it. And then I'll work on this other stuff. Um, and I, I don't know that I'm, uh, the best at, uh, prioritizing the, the responsibilities. And I wonder if that's even a, a like internal rebellious thing of some sort where I'm, I'm, uh, because I ultimately do want to do the responsible things. Like that's ultimately like I want to work on the things that I want down the line. But for whatever reason, if I get my headspace into a place where I need to accomplish something, I'll, I'll zone in on it. And that can happen with relationships where I'm just like, I just only want to spend time with my partner in a certain phase of our relationship. Maybe it's because of that euphoria or whatever, but it just, that's not that's not setting a healthy precedent for the relationship and it's also like um i need to be able to balance so that there's that and i would say um honestly i i don't know that i have another i mean that that's kind of a broad concept within itself so it's like pretty much anything that comes into my life if it feels immediately important to me I just want to be better at like balancing it with what's already important to me um, I can't really think of another specific besides like a romantic partner because that's historically been the thing that has kind of thrown me off the the rails a little bit uh, so yeah I'll, I'll end it with that so what what do you think 
Well, I, I, I think that's fair. I, I agree. It is sort of a broad concept of just anything that is different than what we've got going on in our lives. Any, any added variable, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a new activity that goes on. I think for me, other than a relationship, the only other thing that I think about sometimes is if one of us, let's just say, if something happens where we get an opportunity outside of the podcast or anything else. Like for example, if I got an opportunity to do, I mean, like uh, hosting something um, or doing a collaboration with a company and I felt like, ooh, this could be a really good opportunity for me. Like it could be lucrative. It could be close to what I want to be able to do. Maybe there, it, it takes me to the next level in terms of me building up notoriety on a platform. I think something like that it would be great, but I think it'd also be tough because it would be a big change. And I've been in a very similar rhythm with how to do everything on the day-to-day for about two years, a little less than two years, but where it's been this intense, I guess you could say. And I realize I'm not naive to think that this isn't going to change at some point. Like what, what I'm doing today is not going to be what I'm doing every year moving forward. There's gonna be a lot that switches up. For example, I just think about where things were at two years ago and then how things are right now. And there's an equally high of chance that two years from this point, it'll be even more ridiculous. And I've just, at this point, I look back on my life and I have enough information to know that expect the unexpected. Like we couldn't have predicted there would be a pandemic and there's things that happen in your personal life, there's things that happen in your career, there's just, there's so many things that can happen that I think the thing that keeps me kind of up at night is just not knowing, like, I know I will always adapt to whatever situation is thrown at me. Like I've always been able to do that, but just the uncertainty on what that thing will be next and hoping that I make the right move and feeling confident I probably will, but still a little uneasy about it. So I just want to break this down a little more. What what exactly are you uneasy about? Because if you get an opportunity that that puts you in a certain uh, situation where you get to do certain things, ultimately, I think, isn't that kind of the idea of what you would want? I mean, you would sign up to something that you think you would want. So what what is the the underlying anxiety about? What do you think is going to change to the point where you'll think it was the wrong decision? I... It's that I love and hate change. In my family growing up, I was definitely around a lot of people who didn't love too much change. And I think that there's an element of me that loves, this is part of the reason why I hold on to a lot of things in my past. And people will point out like, I'll watch the same TV show for years on the fact I'll go back and watch it again instead of bringing in new TV shows. I just love having certain comforts, comfortable people around me, I've always been that way, and so anytime that there's a switch in that, it makes me, even though I love it, obviously I'm always trying to manufacture different things into my life, like trying new things out. It's still, it's still, it's just uneasy because I never know if I'll be happy if I make these changes. Because even though they, they seem like a really good idea, I don't know if it will turn out as well as I'm hoping that it will. Because some of the choices I've made, some of the moves, I'll give an example, Tennessee, it ended up being a great move because of the people there. But I didn't really like Tennessee that much as a whole. 
So you could make the argument that maybe that move actually wasn't a good idea. I probably should have moved to, if I was going to move somewhere different, I probably should have moved maybe to a different state. But I got lucky because I met really great people there. So I guess you just never know. This would be one of the places where the more laid back mindset would probably be good for you because, I mean, you could sit down and uh, overanalyze every decision that you made, you know, whether it's going to Tennessee going to the first college you went to what was that kent state kent state kent state yeah. i don't i don't really talk about that much but that is uh that's true yeah yeah kent state going, in Ohio. doing the disney college program um but all of those things even if they they held you know going to west virginia for your tv thing like even if they held some negative aspects they also ended up all leading to some sort of you met me at tennessee you know yeah, kent exactly. state you went to kent state and realized you weren't okay with just that comfort zone uh, and just being what you were before. You wanted to be something different. You know, West Virginia was your opportunity to try out something that you thought was your dream, which was a version of your dream, I guess, being on TV. But then you realize that that specific thing was just absolutely miserable, and it was a huge part of you moving to Chicago. You know, so I, I think I think that in life is where when we, like, look back on ourselves and we can sit here and, and, and say, oh, well, I'm really nervous because who knows if I'm going to make the right decision. It's, it's, it's never going to be black and white. And I think I, I, I know that you recognize that it's, it's not going to be a black or white, right or wrong decision. You know, if you, if you get a, a late night show like David Letterman, you know, you're going to be really busy and, you know, maybe some of your personal relationships will suffer because some people won't understand it. But at the same time, you're going to be doing the same thing that, uh, well, a version of what David Letterman did, which was a huge inspiration to you and something that I think ultimately when you think about your purpose and what fulfills you, you'd be really happy with. So it's, I, I think there there is a little bit of a liberating aspect of being okay with the fact that you're never going to be 100% happy. You know, I think I, uh, I keep going back to that movie that I tell you to watch, the Mr. Nobody. <laughs> I got to... I gotta watch it. Maybe we should just watch it over a Twitch stream or something we, at this point. <laughs> dude, we should. Well, it's just like uh, you know, in the life where in the simulation life that he gets everything that he thinks that he wants. It's the one that he's uh, the most miserable. And I don't think it's because of the things that he gets. It's more because of the mindset. He thinks that if I get all these things, I'm supposed to be this ultimate level of happy. But you, as a person, are not going to change in in terms of this like amount like you're just gonna you're gonna live life and certain things are gonna give you some happiness certain things but it's not gonna be like well if i just get this this and that then i'll be fine you know i think there's always gonna be an ounce of struggle and perspective and you know i've I've been thinking about that with my like just my overall like uh my health and uh you know thinking about like how far i feel like i've fallen but i remember i'm like did i really feel that great back then and I, I remember thinking back to when I was like in the best shape of my life. And I, I was like, part of the reason I got to the best shape of my life was because I was miserable. And so I used working out as a coping mechanism, um, which it's a healthy coping mechanism technically because it's good for your body. But I was still really depressed. <laughs> you know. So it's like, is it really just about um, checking these boxes off of like, Oh, I'm going to do this and accomplish that and be that, uh, you know, there's part of that. Like that's, I think I need to be more grateful of looking back on what I've done in my life so far. 
uh, you know, just thinking about like, I dropped out of school to pursue music. I turned down a record deal. I, I performed in front of thousands of people at one time. I, uh, I, I wrote an entire theatrical piece and performed that. Like I dropped out of school again and moved to Chicago. I, I had season tickets to the Minnesota Timberwolves, which was a bucket list thing for me. I have every season of Dragon Ball Z on DVD. <laughs> you know? So there That's are things that really matter. Exactly. The stuff <laughs> that really matters. So are there things that like, I can look back on and I can really appreciate. And there are things that I can look back on and I'm like, God, I wish I would have handled that differently. Or I wish I would, um, I, I wish I would have, uh, I, I, I wish I could let that go or whatever. But I think, uh, I, I basically, I know that you can't stop your feelings, but I, I don't know that, you know, and this is easier said than done. You don't need to fear that change. Cause I think no matter what change happens in your life, which like you said, cause life is so unexpected, uh, you're going to get some form of change and have to roll with it no matter if it's the change you think you're striving for or the change that just happens upon you. That's kind of the crazy part is clearly I have enough examples of me doing changes that I think I'd be more prepared. And I I am 100% more prepared now more than ever for any of the decisions or changes or any, all the things that uh, I can pursue going forward. But I think it's just like anything – I would be lying if, even though I, if I said that I wouldn't be a little bit nervous for any of them, because even though my confidence has come a long way, and even though I feel more prepared, I think it's just it's a part of it. I was watching, um, I think I've mentioned me watching these like Dick Cavett interviews. I still don't know who this guy is to be honest with you, but his his uh, talk show, which was around in the '70s and '80s, from what I can see, um, keeps being recommended to me, and I was just. I was just watching that guy talk about um, something. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to remember where I was going with this. Was gonna make sense. I didn't just want to bring up this guy. Um, ah, damn it! I forget where I was going with this. But just, just remember that you're great. <laughs> no, there is a specific point that I saw in this, and I can't remember. This is just classic me, dude. Just- where I have a point. Honestly, though, the biggest thing in this is just remember you're great. That should be the title of the episode. Just remember Uh, you're great. (laughs) No, I don't even know how I get lost. What was I even talking about? See, sometimes I do this. This happens. So Brandon and I have been playing uh, Rocket League recently, and I feel like (laughs) it's really brought brought to the forefront. If you don't know what Rocket League is, it's it's this video game where you drive around in cars and you try to get this huge ball into the goal. It's really goofy, but it's a really fun game. It's really shown just how much I cannot focus. <laughs> there are times where I just drive around in circles and I'm just like completely unengaged in the game. And then I come back in the next game and it's like, oh, okay, where, where was this last game? Yeah. <laughs> well, there honestly, though, there. I mean, looking back at how I was in that game when I first started, there was... There was a little bit of that in me, too. I think what's hilarious is <laughs> so there, there's a button to turbo boost and there's a button to jump. And for some reason, Steven cannot figure out which one's which. So he thinks that he has it down. And then the next round, we'll be waiting for him to go for the ball right away. And then all of a sudden, his car will just jump. And it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing, dude? Uh, we give up at least one goal every three games because he just doesn't go for the ball in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I do that. 
and then I, <laughs> and then he'll argue with you when you tell him what buttons they are. But he doesn't know what buttons they are, obviously, because he keeps pressing the wrong buttons. It's it's very. I'm very frustrated to play video games. Oh with. my gosh! I don't know why. I just can't get like. In, I've been playing. <laughs> my favorite is how my brother gets mad at me during Super Smash Brothers because. So that game came out, I think, in 99. It's been out for a while, the original one. And uh, <laughs> I still never remember to press whatever button it is to push to pick up the item. <laughs> so <laughs> whenever I play my brother in the game, I'm like, this isn't fair. I keep forgetting what button to press to pick up the items. <laughs> and if, if, I, if you play me without items, I'm actually, like, way better. Because with items, I'm a disaster. I forget to pick up items all the time. <laughs> And I get so mad. And my brother one time, he's like, I, I literally don't understand. It's been the same button for two decades and you still haven't figured it out. Which is the funny thing because that's a situation where there was no change. And you're like, you complain about video games sometimes. Like, well, they always got to be changing things. But here's an example of a game that's been around for over two decades now. And <laughs> you still can't figure out the same damn button. Well, well okay, but to be, to be fair, here here's... Here's what the problem is. They stopped making the buttons different colors on Nintendo controllers, and I got confused. Actually, that's not true. That's not true, because the GameCube is different button colors. The Wii is not. The Wii is, the Wii is where they messed me up. That's what they did. <laughs> all right. And the Switch, all the same colors. Dude. I got to blame it on something. Blame it on something. Do you want to do this, uh, this yeah, segment? It's, it's definitely segment time. You could tell that... Uh, <laughs> losing my thoughts it's gonna come back what i was gonna talk about it's gonna come back at some point i don't well it'll probably come back like three days from now but uh, (laughs) i'm gonna be pissed if that happens probably will though all right segment time movie metrics maybe all right so if you guys remember this one we are going to take five separate movies uh that we have not seen and or heard of and uh, based on the description alone, we will guess what their Rotten Tomato score is. Are you ready, Steven? Oh, yes. All right. The first one is called Walking Tall. This was made in 1973. I think it was remade in 2004, but we're going off of the, the 1973 version. Based on the life of a Tennessee sheriff, Buford Pusser. <laughs> I don't There's think I'm... There's no way that's how you pronounce it. <laughs> A professional wrestler turned lawman in McNair County, Tennessee, whom almost single-handedly cleaned up his small town of crime and corruption, but at a personal cost of his family and nearly his own life. What do you think this one has? Okay, so judging by that name, it seems like this movie doesn't going to take itself too serious. Even the way that the title of this movie is. Um, and the fact... Okay, so it's a 1970s movie... I kind of feel this movie's not good. I, I don't think this movie's good. It, it doesn't really fit the times. It feels like if this was an 80s movie, having a kind of a goofy name and a premise like this, this feels like it would be a solid movie. But being a 70s movie means that I'm not going to, you know, I can't relate to the 70s as much. Not that I can relate to the 80s because I was born in the 90s, but I can more closely relate to the 80s because my hair sort of resembles a hairstyle you might have found in the 80s. So I'm going to say this movie was a mediocre 47%. Wow. See, I'm going to say that uh, just this whole, like, this one guy against the world kind of has this, like, Western vibe to it, 
where it's like, uh, you know, this guy goes into this town. He's going to clean up this town. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show these, these ruffians what it's all about. And I think that was big in the 70s, huge in the 70s. And so I'm actually going to give this a 90%. Wow, we're definitely not seeing eye to eye on this one. Dude, we're not. You're completely out of bounds, I can already tell. Walking tall. What did you say? 47. It's got a 75%. No. <laughs> so I take the kick on this one. Dude, I've been, I've been not doing well at this game lately. I feel like I'm just off. More than ever, for whatever reason. You are off your game. Even the audience grows a 71%. I told you people were going to like it, dude. You need to yeah, start listening to me. I'll go first this time. We'll see if you can. All right. Let's, let's get it. All right. <laughs> All right. This one's called The Manchurian Candidate. It was in 1962. It's a neo-noir psychological political thriller film about the Cold War and sleeper agents. Um, you know, that neo-noir vibe. Oh, man. Did that ever just change the film industry for the better? That the neo noir stuff, you're you're still seeing some homages to it nowadays. Um, and anytime that you get uh, something political, there's going to be some intrigue to it. So I'm going to give this one an 85. percent Seems kind of high, but let me let me think it through for a sec. So this is this is one of the only times I actually like I've heard of this movie and I remember I actually want to see this movie. What what year what year was it again? Nineteen sixty two. Okay, so um, I feel like it must be good if I've heard of it before. So I'm gonna say ninety one percent. If Steven's heard of it before. Mark what did you say? 90 91%. 91%. Wow. I, that's one of those voices that you do that I feel like you don't even notice that you do, but you do a lot. Like, wow. <laughs> I guess this one was remade as well. Holy crap, dude. 96%. See? Look at this, dude. This is how I knew it. Because I think I, I'm thinking of the remake that I... That let's I was going to... Right? Was that like a 2000 movie or something? Yeah, let's see what the remake got. Eighty percent with uh, Denzel Washington and Meryl yeah. Streep. So I, I remember seeing that, and I was like, "When you said the sixty, it made me think, okay, then maybe this movie was remade. And if it was remade, then the first movie must have at least been decent, dude. That was the first time I actually like, I'm proud of myself for the logic there. And I'm real. I mean, I'm usually proud of myself, but I'm especially proud of myself, dude. I'm so proud of you. You you're getting your mojo back, dude. All right. Next one is called Spanking the Monkey. This one was from 1994. It's about uh, about to stay a summer internship, promising young medical student at MIT, Raymond. His mother, Susan, breaks her leg, so is housebound and immobile. His father, Tom, makes Raymond stay home and take care of her. Susan is a troubled woman, and along with Raymond's own emotional strains, it leads them to intimate physical contact, which Raymond finds uneasy. He soon meets a high school girl, Tony, but his ability to handle starting a relationship with her is difficult due to the emotionally troubling recent events in his life. 
what year was it again? 1994. So I'm conflicted because you got kind of a got kind of a goofy name of the movie, but then you've also got a lot of generic names: Susan and Tom and Tony, Raymond. Not the most not the most clever names of the bunch. Nineteen ninety four, you know, that was the year my brother was born in. Which has a lot to do with this. Monkeys are not my favorite animal. I'll, I'll admit, I'm I'm a little stumped on this one, but I, I just based on the name alone, I feel like if this was truly a good movie, I would have heard of it. <laughs> so I'm gonna say I'm not saying it's bad, but I'm not saying it's one of those ones that I'm saying it's it's a movie that you've got on VHS in your in old cabinet in the basement. You don't normally open a whole lot. It's got a cardboard covering. It's a little little dusty. You don't pull it out too often, and there, and there's a good reason because it's only a 58. percent All right, I'm gonna use a very analytical perspective on this one. It seems that for whatever reason, any movie before the 2000s just somehow gets a good score because like only 12 <laughs> people review it on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> and if you're gonna take the time to review it on an like an ambiguous movie, it's probably because you liked the movie. <laughs> so I'm gonna give this one an 85 percent. Dude, I said 58. You say 85. I see what you're about. Ninety-one percent, dude. No, why didn't I just? Uh, yeah, yeah, I do this way too often. Audience score was fifty-five percent. See, this is what I was talking about—the audience this time. <laughs> why would you not assume it would be audience house? Oh, we're just changing the rules, huh? All right. Well, I was thinking of the audience perspective in nineteen ninety-four. Oh, no, that yeah. makes sense though. Yeah, because that was that the makes sense. rule that we. Yeah. All right, number four, The Hudsucker Proxy. This was made in 1994 as well. A naive business graduate is installed as president of a manufacturing company as part of a stock scam. Anytime that you get stocks involved, people are going to eat it up. <laughs> people love stocks. Look at Wolf of Wall Street. Anytime that you talk about stocks, people are like, I don't know much about stocks, but this movie is great. So I'm going to give this one an 80%. I mean, I actually like your reasoning on this one. It's hard to argue against it. You said 80%. I'm going to say 81%. You son of a bitch. (laughs) It's going to be 79%. It's inevitable. Fifty six percent. Dude, I can't catch a break. Dude, audience score is seventy nine percent. Either way, you would have lost, dude. Oh my gosh, dude! I thought the stocks was definitely gonna get it. I feel like you're, you're doing this on purpose somehow. You're finding you find a you find a hole in the system. <laughs> what? You, you can pick the movies next time. I'm picking all the movies. All right. I'm going to pick the movies, and I'm going to know all the percentages beforehand, and I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to be like, oh, I don't know, 77%. <laughs> I mean, my percentages are really off if I already know the 
<laughs> I guess yeah, but I would guess, I'd guess I'm like spot on every time. I'm like, wow, you're really getting rid of this stuff. <laughs> All right, well, I technically already won, but the last one that we have here, Gorillas in the Mist. This is a 1988 movie. The story of Diane Fossey, a scientist who came to Africa to study the vanishing mountain gorillas and later fought to protect them. Okay, this doesn't seem like a movie that anyone would actually give a low score to. There's no way. But, I'm not saying it's a classic. So I'm going to say 85%. Wow. I I, I think I, uh, I follow your your thought process on this. But I, I don't think that it was good enough to even get. I think, yeah, I think it was a little boring. It was a little, could have been a little. It could have been a little more going. It on. felt long. It felt like it dragged <laughs> on a little bit, especially. You know, you when you think about gorillas, you're like, this is going to be action packed. Think about mist, you're like, ooh, well, there's going to be intrigue. What's happening? But it's really just like she's saving some gorillas. So I'm going to give this one a seventy percent. Come on, give this one to me. Eh? 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 What did you guess? 85. 83%. Oh, dude, going out. That's what matters, dude. All's well that ends well. All's well that ends well. And that was Movie Metrics Maybe? Great work today. Did you have to do some something in high school where, like, I mean, it was a... Like, maybe it was to get into college. I don't remember. But I, did you have to, like, write a paper at the end? I wish I knew more of why I had to do this. I, I just remember I had to, like, write a paper. Maybe it was to get into college, but did you have to write, like, a paper at the end? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember what it was for. Because, like, why would I write a paper to get into college? Like, I didn't do that to get into UT, so I don't know what this was for. No, sometimes colleges have you write a paper for admission. Then, I, then honestly, maybe I just took... It was not a good Was paper, this like... I, are you talking like... the? I mean, I wrote a lot of papers in high school. Are you just saying like there was this yeah, no, no, one no, this, final this is, paper? Yeah, this was, uh, this was like... A, you could write about anything. And I remember being like, anything? This is tough. I just remember I wrote mine about this idea of all's well that ends well. And I remember getting the notes back from the teacher and she was like... She, she literally wrote, this is your... I forget the exact... But something like... This is your idea for a unique topic. Why so abstract? <laughs> what a fucking bitch, dude. I, <laughs> and I was like, no. Yeah, so I remember seeing that and being like, should I, should I just not go to college? <laughs> no, I didn't think that. But I remember thinking, should I rewrite this again? And then I just didn't. I was like, no, I'm not going to rewrite this again. Like, if a college won't accept me because of this paper, then they shouldn't accept me. Dude, I got a C in creative writing my senior year of high school because I, like, procrastinated on all of my papers. And there was this one paper where we were supposed to write in a certain, like, point of view as a narrator. And I literally, because I had procrastinated on all my papers, I literally just turned in a paper that said, sorry, it's already midnight. I'm not staying up any later to write this. (laughs) (laughs) You were that guy. (laughs) Well, I was actually really close with that teacher, so I was just I felt a little more comfortable, but 
But yeah, I would hope so. <laughs> it I, wasn't like your mortal enemy, Dietrich. I did write one really sick screenplay for that class, though. It was about a um, uh, what kind of character? I hope you, can you find it still? We should we should make it. I might still have it. <laughs> we should make it after all this time. It was about like a ghoul who was from the demon world, but he uh, he somehow entered a portal to Earth, and I think he like ran for political office or something <laughs> he just like he ended up being uh really popular and he fell in love with a, a human woman but then he had uh demons from from his realm trying to uh stop his progress on planet earth so it, was, yeah, it sounds pretty good it was literally incredible probably the best thing that i've ever written what what are some things that when you think about like high school, elementary, like what what are some, what are some stories that we've never talked about in the podcast before of like you, being a trash student or you being a suck up student, I want to get deep into the the Brandon, backlog. Um, well, I was pretty much like people thought of me as a suck up student because I participated all the time. Uh, but I wait, just, wait, wait, like, it, like when? Are we talking like all, like all the way through? All the way through. Or did you through. grow into that? Like I, elementary school too? You were loud. I always raised my always hand. Answering. Oh my! Because I, but it wasn't even because I just like to be right. So I like to, <laughs> I like to answer things and be the one that's right. So I, um, I remember, I remember this one time. I might have told this story actually, but this one time in choir. Uh, this was in middle school and our, our choir teacher or instructor or whatever, uh, was getting really pissed because she would, we would be singing and she would look up in our little bleachers or whatever. And she would see some of the girls passing notes. And so she would be like, I'm tired of you guys passing notes. The next time I catch somebody pass a note, I'm reading it in front of the class. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you told me that. <laughs> and so I wrote a note, and I made it obvious so that she could see it. And she, uh, she's like, all right, give me that note. She, <laughs> she picked it up, opened it up in front of the class, and it said, Mrs. Anderson is literally the best teacher I've ever had. <laughs> that, that's, that's actually kind of funny. <laughs> Uh, I did stuff like that all the time. We used to have this one history teacher in high school that if you got her on tangents, she would literally talk for an hour for the, like the entire hour about stuff. So we would just like try to prompt her to just keep going about this random stuff. So we wouldn't have to learn anything, but that wasn't just me. That was like our entire class. We had, we had it figured out. What about you? (laughs) Well, I don't know. I guess I was different in a sense, definitely when I was younger, I, de- I like never answered questions for unless it was in math. In math, I answered questions all the time, and people were just like thought I was just like a huge nerd because I would know all the answers. Um, but other other subjects, not so much. I was like really self conscious, and I just wouldn't want to answer questions to the point where even my teachers were like, "I don't get it. You're outgoing, but you never participate in class ever." And I had to kind of be honest, like, makes me nervous to com- to to answer anything in this class. So I just didn't do it. Um, but I was, I was not a good student as I talked about before. I wasn't like the, I wasn't like terrible, but I definitely wasn't, I really wasn't good. I, I, I definitely didn't treat school very seriously. I would do a lot of just dumb things. I would always like be texting in class. 
Um, teachers never liked me a whole lot. I, I got in a few. I never got like in like real arguments with teachers per se, but I definitely. I'd be the person where <laughs> there's definitely several times where the teacher would say, "I need to see you after class," like in front of everyone, and I would be the person. I'd be like, "Oh, great, another one of these," and always be that I need to take school more seriously. I got that a lot that I wasn't taking school seriously. See, I I got teachers loved me. I would <laughs> I would participate in class and I would treat them like they're my friend. So I would like in fifth grade. This I was always like this, even as a little kid. In fifth grade, I had just moved to a new school, and uh, my teacher was one of the quote unquote strict fifth grade teachers. So if you got her, people were like, "Dang it, I got Mrs. Curtis." Um, and uh, I loved her. But I love how you used her actual name. That's I, I, dude, I love Mrs. when people Curtis do that. Curtis was freaking dope, dude. So I, um, I, she used to do this thing where she's like, now we're going to be pairing off. You're going to have a partner for this project. But you're going to wait until after I have dismissed you to have your partner. I don't want to see in the middle of everything you going, hey, you, you, me, you, me. I'm still talking. I'm still telling you what's going on. So she used to she used to repeat this every single time that we had this partner thing going on. And eventually, I'd be like, "Mrs. Curtis, you, me, you," <laughs> like in the middle. Of- Dude, yeah, you, you, yeah, you were. I, I was like weird around adults. Remember, like you've talked about this oh, before. Yeah. Where yeah, you so made me uncomfortable. I brought you home to my parents. That sounds really gay, but yeah. <laughs> I brought you to to where I was living at the time, and uh, I was like, "Oh, cool! I'll introduce this friend that I made at college to my to my parents." And it was just like, "Dude, you can't even fucking have a conversation." I just like no eye contact, nothing. I was like, "What the hell is going on with this guy?" Yeah, I was like, "Yeah, I think I think that'd be one thing people would probably be very surprised at how shy I was in certain ways." Like when I was younger, and you definitely could see big elements of that when I was younger. I definitely was not very close to any of my teachers either. Like there was no one, no one in particular. Like I, I, I got along with some teachers, but I definitely didn't have that type of a relationship. I was more likely because I, I thought of another thing. <laughs> Just to give you an idea, of like the dumb stuff that I would do, like. I remember in sixth grade, there was this quiz that it was pretty much just to get, it, it, all the, the questions were intentionally, everybody would know the answer to. <laughs> so I could see like every person's grade in, in the entire, like out of like the 60 of us and everyone got a 10 out of 10, but there was one nine out of 10 and it was me. <laughs> I misread one of the questions. <laughs> And it was so funny, too, because they didn't have everyone's name. They had, like, your student ID number. So, like, I could – so no one knew what my, what my ID number was. But I knew what my ID number was, and I just saw down the list, and I was like, oh, I'm the only person who got one of the questions no, wrong. Dude. <laughs> um, Definitely did that. One last question. I think we're getting kind of towards the end here. But um, what, what about in college? How are you with your professors? Were you any different, or was it – you were just kind of a number. I'm actually glad that you brought this up because I talked about before how like midway through high school is where I started to get uh, not even midway, like I, basically like sophomore year of high school is where I started to like my confidence started to get like a little bit better. And I started to get a little more closer to 
who how I feel like I am now. Anyway, e- even that being said, I didn't have great relationships with my teachers. My grades were not very good. That was like the one. That was always the thing that was a a, a weak point for me. I never. I never had good relationships with teachers and I didn't have good grades. So when I went to college, I was like, okay, I know this about me already. I should go in here and do the opposite of everything I was doing before. So I should go in here and like the first day of class, I should stay after and talk to every single professor and kind of suck up to them and just see, you know, maybe this will work because I know that part of the reason why I could even get by in school was that I'm, I'm really easy to talk to and like people... I could talk to anyone. So I was like, I could probably use this in school. So I went to college and I I would kind of suck up to my professors a little bit. And that's when I started like arguing my grades more too, which I had done earlier, but I definitely had better relationships with professors then, but I still was by no means the poster child. Like there was, I one of my biggest regrets in college is that I really didn't have any professor that I used to network with at all. Like there's not a single professor that I would feel like if I hit them up, They'd be like, yeah, Stephen, 100%, anything for you. Like, nobody would say that. If anything, I kind of tried to do that with one of my professors, and I was like, this guy doesn't care. Like, I could just tell he thinks that, I like, and to this day, I, I still feel like this dude thinks that I'll be a screw-up. Like, he thinks Stephen's not the kind of guy who would, like, take initiative. He's kind of like a lost cause. And I'll admit, it's always been on the back of my mind to be like, yeah, that's not going to be what happens at all. You just, you just had like a one-track mind where if, if a student didn't just love journalism, like if they weren't just passionate about that, you could literally not reason through the fact that maybe that could be a good thing, that they were more open-minded and they could actually find something they could be super successful at, and that maybe college isn't, it doesn't let, allow everybody to shine in the same way. So that's... I've never really gotten to say that on the show, I feel like, but that's definitely true. I think about that. Like I'm, I'm thinking about it right now. I'm getting heated just thinking about it again. Yeah, I, I actually had a, one professor specifically that I had a good relationship with. It was my um, abnormal psych teacher, or professor, rather. And I I just, on a whim, was like, this would be really good for my resume if I like worked on a research project. So I, I emailed her once and I was like, hey, I don't know if you're working on anything outside of this, but if you need an assistant, I'd love to. And she just so happened to be working on like a cyberbullying project and she got it published and my name is on the, the publishing thing. And I mean, I really didn't do much. I just like, I basically just gathered email addresses for her, but I still put, got my name put on it. So it's pretty cool. That is cool. Yeah, I don't really, honestly, I don't really, I mean, we went to college together for a year, but, like, I don't really remember you as a student. Like, I I couldn't tell you that you really put a lot of time into anything, like, I, I, or how you were around professors. Like, I, I don't even remember the name of the professor that we had together, to be honest with you. I think it was something generic, (laughs) so I don't remember. It was, yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I, I mean, I was always good when I was in class. Like, I was... I like to participate. I like to be involved. But then when it, when it came to like, I'm going to go home and actually have to do the, the work that's involved with the class. Yeah. Uh, Cause I think you and I were the opposite where you busted your ass on the homework because you knew that you weren't going to do good on the tests. 
I barely did the homework because I knew I would ace the tests. So that's that's a difference I think in in our uh, our approach to some things I guess. Yeah, I pretty much had to do that because I would not pay attention in that class at all, and then I would I would get to the book and I'm like, uh, I'm I'm doomed if I don't <laughs> if I don't do this homework assignment. We were also by a bunch of really hot babes in that class, so it was tough to focus. I cannot confirm that. <laughs> I don't really remember many people in that class, to be honest. With I you. actually do. I actually did make out with one of them. <laughs> I. Uh, it, it stunk though because I actually really liked her, and she lived really close to me, and so we hung out, and I kissed her, and then she's like, "I can't do this," and I was like, "Okay, that's fine," and we were still friends, we were fine, but the reason she didn't want to do it was because I didn't believe in God, and she, she had like been a druggie before this and stuff like that, and she had found God to like recover and so she was like really dedicated to that so the fact that let's bring her on the show we gotta we gotta talk some sense into this dude i have tried to find her but i can't i can't find her anymore i don't know what she's doing with her life you hate to see it we should at some point do something like that where we bring back people from our past and put them on the show i feel like it would be pretty pretty interesting like i would love to get one of my old teachers in the show and be like okay so that's Let's talk about back then, but not until I like actually am pretty successful. Yeah. Like, not even not not now. Just like down the road, like okay, hmm. like man, I forget. Yeah, uh, just uh, I got people like I'm just thinking of in my head. Already. Dude, I'm gonna get Mrs. Curtis on the show. I want to get on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, you want to do the Spotify segment? Yeah, yep, yep. Oh yeah, I forgot we were doing that. <sighs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, cool. So. uh Today for the Spotify segment, um, I had Steven listen to Robbery by Juice World, and he had me listen to Resentment by A Day to Remember. You want me to go first this time, I think? Yeah, you go first. Okay. Uh, so what stood out to you about the song? I actually really like the melody. You know, I I don't think that necessarily... Uh, well, first off, I always say this with these songs that you have me listen to. As long as there's like an actual vocalist besides just like the intense growling or whatever we want to call it. Mm-hmm. I'm typically okay with the growling included because I just like vocals. So the growling doesn't feel like vocals. It just feels like, <laughs> so I have a hard yeah, time yeah, getting yeah. into it. So I like that, but I also just like the melody of the song, uh, feels, um, not necessarily poppy, but kind of like, um, like, if within rock music there is a certain kind of pop melody, I feel like this song kind of has that. It, like, it just captures me, essentially, is what I'm saying. Like, it, it's catchy to me, and I, I enjoy listening to it for that reason. Uh, how does the song make you feel? Um, I didn't really... I, well, well, I will say uh, uh, this is kind of combined with the what stood out to you about the song. The, the ending... Uh, is very intense for me because you kind of have this what I'm describing as like a catchy melody uh, for for a rock song uh, throughout but then there it like takes on this new level specifically with the percussion like the breakdown of the percussion and just like the intensity of it um, so there's like in terms of how it makes me feel I feel like there's this this next level that the song bring brings you to uh, of there, there's something intense within it 
and uh, I I really like that because I I typically like that kind of music that that doesn't just I do sometimes like the laid back stuff where you just kind of vibe with and you just kind of feel it. But then stuff that specifically tries to take you to new heights as you kind of go on uh, or new directions. I, I, I typically like that kind of stuff. And I think that this song, you, it's kind of going one direction and then it's, it just hits you with this intense uh, heavy guitar and drums. Uh, would you give it a thumbs up, thumbs down or somewhere in between? Uh, I would give it a thumbs up. I liked it. Yeah, I I chose that song because uh, I did remember as a band I actually like quite a bit. I haven't really listened to them much over the last like year, but I like them because they've got more of like a punk thing going on. Like they don't always even have like metal sections in their song, but they had they I like how their their background story is that they were not sure if they wanted to be a punk band or a metal band, so they just combined them together and kind of just did them both. So some songs sound like a split and some songs are a little more one or the other. And I had listened to this song before, like, a while ago, and I thought it was okay, but I went back and listened to it again, and I really like the melodic parts of this song. I actually don't love the heavy parts of the song. Like, they're, they're okay, but I just love this melody. Like, I, I can't get it out of my head. Like, it just keeps going on and on and on. And I always really liked his voice a lot, so... Yeah. I don't know. Just really catchy melody. I'm glad that I... Uh, <laughs> that we felt kind of the same about that. wasn't yeah. sure if the... If you agreed with my perspective on the melody. But yeah, I liked it a lot. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the song that I listened to was Robbery by Juice World. And I I don't I've never listened to anything by Juice World. Obviously I've heard of him before. I know he's passed away. Like I know a little tiny bit about him, but never listened to his music before. So what set out to me about this song is it was more melodic than I thought it was going to be because I, I really didn't I didn't really know like what type of music he did other than just it was something that my friend Mark would listen to and I listened to a lot of the songs that Mark listens to when I hang out with him and like listen to a lot of rap so I figured that it would be rap but it like it's I guess it kind of is but it's very like melodic rap I don't I don't know how to like I probably sound like an idiot trying to describe it but it kind of has that thing going on, and I was so surprised how much I liked this song. Like, this is actually the the closest I've come to almost liking the song that you chose more than the song that I chose. Like, this is the closest it's come because I really like how this song is produced. I like the effects on his voice. I really like the lyrics of it. Like, this is a song I would actually listen to, and I, yeah, like, I don't know. I just, I what stood out to me was how much I actually really enjoyed it. Just not knowing anything about this artist and going into it. What does the song or how does the song make you feel? It definitely makes me think I like listening to the lyrics. Like I didn't look them up. I kind of just tried to follow along the story. I listened to it twice cause I wanted to understand a little bit more. And it, in a weird way, it almost feels like the song is nostalgic, even though it's just new to me. So I think that that was kind of cool that it was able to sort of, it might be a little bit of like this sort of auto tune effect on his voice that feels a little more reminiscent of something you might listen to about 10 years ago. So I think that that was kind of a cool little um, touch on the song. So I enjoyed that a lot. I would, I would definitely give the song a thumbs up. I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah. Well, I uh, was listening to uh little Dickie talk on um, the uh whiskey ginger podcast with andrew santino and he was talking about uh how benny blanco who's a big 
big time producer uh, would have like a beat and Juice World would come into the studio and just freestyle a song and and he'd be like okay let's do it again and we and then he would freestyle a completely new song he's like all right just pick which one of those that you want and they would both be hits like this guy was so freaking talented in that way and you can kind of feel that with this song because there's something that I respect about the structure where it feels like he's just constantly like letting his thoughts out and I know that's like well what are lyrics like your thoughts whatever but there's just like there there's a sort of he's just kind of talking about like what's going through his head um there just has that kind of freestyle feel to it it doesn't feel as like structured as a lot of other artists are and I, I really appreciate that but I also just like the the uh the symbolism of it just like the you know instead of just saying um oh you 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 stole my heart it's like this was a robbery like you you put my heart in a bag so the body is hurt you know it's just like yeah there's an intense uh feeling to it in that sense yeah i definitely felt like that emotion in it and I, I i like how he just sings in this song a lot yeah i'm a, i'm going to do a cover of this one so i was curious what you thought about it because i'm i'm gonna do this one eventually but yeah nice any uh I'm excited anything else that you uh, want to talk about um not too much i will say i'm really missing doing the my life in chicago vlogs i feel like that has been very very clear so i did um, I've got a video that'll be coming out this week that will be a little bit of a window into some of the people who haven't showed up in my videos recently. So I hope that you all enjoy watching that. I'm I'm having fun with it. So trying to do what I can right now. It quarantine has definitely pushed me to be more creative because I can't do the same stuff as I was doing before. Yeah, definitely. I um, that's I. I feel like me asking my mom to request a song today I was like I want something to challenge me a little bit to like whip something out um, rather than just staying in my comfort zone so hopefully she has something for me but I, uh, I I definitely get your your kind of restlessness I think that that just kind of that's how it is for creatives I think a lot of times like you need you need a certain kind of stimulation, something which, which uh, you know, not to go back too much, but, you know, just like when you talk about you don't like change or the unexpected is a little a little bit scary uh, to you. It, it's just kind of interesting because I also think you thrive with that because that's part of your creativity. Like you need you need something new and fresh to keep you excited about things. Um and I think that that goes for a lot of creatives. Like you want to just keep being stimulated by the the surprises that life throws at you. So definitely cool. Well, uh, thank you guys so much. If you made it this far into the episode, or if you listened at all, awesome. Thank you very much. You can uh, if you have any comments, questions, thoughts, give us a call five one three four two seven EMG five, and we'll play it on air, as they say, like we did for slice of Rach's congratulations to our two-year anniversary um if you want to follow us on social media i am at brandon j flippin steven is at steven russell b and the podcast is at emg pod thank you guys so much for listening and we'll talk to you next time
Take it easy. Oh,